I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, a monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind Three Brothers Film discuss movies as well as broader topics in film culture. As always, thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard on Three Brothers Filmcast, please drop us a five-star rating or review, or recommend us to your family and friends. We want to expand our audience and bring more people into the conversation, and five-star reviews and recommendations are a great way to find new listeners. I'm Aaron Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Anton. My last name is the same as my brother's. This episode, we're offering a few horror movie recommendations for Halloween, and I'll offer a brief take on Halloween Kills. But first a roundtable discussion of No Time to Die, the final film in Daniel Craig's tenure as James Bond. And to the listeners who haven't seen the film yet, we're going to spoil everything in it, so you've been warned. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. Why would I betray you? We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to yours yet. The world is arming faster than we can respond. Where's 007? I need a favor, brother. You're the only one I trust for this. The world's moved on, Commander Bond. You were double O. Two years. So stay in your lane. You get in my way. I will put a bullet in your knee. I thought you two would get along. Daniel Craig made James Bond human. That's the popular opinion on Craig's work as the iconic British super spy who was first invented by Ian Fleming back in 1953. 2006's Casino Royale, the 21st entry in the James Bond 007 series, which we reviewed in its entirety during a 2015 retrospective on the site, rebooted the chronology of the series, which, to be fair, has undergone many soft reboots and recastings over the years. The film sought to reinvent James Bond for the 21st century. In Casino Royale, Craig's Bond is described as a blunt instrument, and still has many of the hallmarks of the previous versions of the character, including his love of beautiful women, capacity for violence, and refined tastes in drinks, cars, and clothes. But he's also a man whose steely exterior hides a wounded internal life. He is battered and bruised, and when he finally lets his guard down with Eva Green's Vesper Lind, Her subsequent betrayal and death leaves a wound that does not heal. Throughout the 50-plus years of the Bond series, James Bond has stood for a refined, heightened version of masculinity. He's the man men want to be, and women want to be with, as the old maxim goes. But he's never had much of an internal life. Timothy Dalton famously tried to inject some internal conflict and depth taken from Ian Fleming's novels to his performance of the character, but he was never given the runway to truly develop him. So when rebooting Bond in the mid-aughts, Eon Productions decided to finally let Bond's guard down and help the audience understand him as a man first and a fantastic vision of masculinity second. Craig still looked good in tuxedos and drove fancy cars, but he famously let the audience see the emotions behind the cool exterior. His Bond laughs and cries. He occasionally quips, but jokes don't come easy to him. He's most comfortable when fighting because it allows him to be quiet and let his body do the talking for him as if he's scared he'll reveal something he shouldn't if he tries to express himself verbally. Every film in the Daniel Craig era has been driven by Bond's emotions, first and foremost. Casino Royale shows a vulnerable Bond, and explains the formation of his cold, hard exterior in response to the loss of Vesper Lind. 
Quantum of Solace lets him exercise some demons in the wake of Vesper's death, focusing on Bond's pain and rage. Skyfall is about Bond's resilience and the steely reserve that makes him such an essential hero. Spectre repeats much of the prestige stylings of Skyfall while going back into elements of Casino Royale and having Bond once again let his guard down with a woman, in this case Leia Seydoux's Madeline Swan. It explores the notion that there is more to him as a man than his double O status. And now with No Time to Die, which caps off Daniel Craig's 15 year run as Bond, he's finally able to shed the status of iconic super spy. The film brings a retired James Bond back to active service in order to uncover the sinister plot of an evil supervillain, which is Rami Malek's Safin. But it's not so much about the secret mission as it is about James Bond as a man. The film is about Bond's relationships. To Madeline Swan, who returns from Spectre. To colleagues such as Jeffrey Wright's Felix Leiter, Ray Fiennes' as M, and Ben Wishaw's Q. Even to villains such as Christoph Waltz's Ernst Stavro Blofeld, who also returns. But mostly, it's about his relationship to himself. Who he sees himself as, what he wants out of life, and what he believes he's capable of giving to the people in the world around him. The film ultimately becomes a portrait of a broken man who desperately wants the pain to go away and to be done with everything. It's meant as the ultimate closing statement on Bond as an iconic figure, ultimately saying that his heroism is as tied to his vulnerability and human characteristics as it is to his unflappable charm and cool. The film even does the unthinkable and kills James Bond during the finale, as if wanting to prove the final statement on everything about the character. Or... At least Daniel Craig's version of him. And therein lies the film's biggest issue. It's arguably more about Craig's relationship to the character than Bond's relationship to the story world and the wider pop culture landscape. It's impossible to deny that Daniel Craig is a very fine actor who has done some great work in the role. For instance, both Anton and I consider a Craig film to be the best in the series. I put Skyfall on top while Anton has Casino Royale as the best Bond film. But Craig doesn't seem to have fun as the character. He's famously said he'd rather slash his wrists than play Bond again, while his performance in each subsequent film is displayed an increased weariness within the role. By the end of No Time to Die, as he makes it to the roof of Safin's facility after saving the day, Bond looks out over the island and watches the oncoming missiles that are about to kill him. Right after he bids farewell to Madeline and their daughter Matilde, there's almost a sense of relief on his face. He's so very tired, and finally he can put all this pain and misery behind him. The film wants us to be moved. And there is an inevitable power to the moment, if only for its narrative boldness. But is it right for the character? Is this scene more about Daniel Craig than James Bond? So, my provocative query to start us all off. Was Bond fated for this end the moment we saw him let his guard down in Casino Royale? Was it inevitable that by making James Bond recognizably human, they'd make him mortal? And thus, was death the only fitting end for this version of the character? By getting the humanity of Casino Royale, must we also have the dour finality of No Time to Die? Anton, you reviewed No Time to Die for the site, but you deliberately avoided the spoilers about the ending. So, I'm gonna ask you first. Should James Bond ever die on screen? I think the death of Daniel Craig's Bond is so fitting to the Daniel Craig arc, um, but it's also so predictable almost going into the movie. I figured that this was going to happen, that it almost seems necessary for this version of the character, even though in some sense it's almost sacrilegious. Like, there, there's like a sense where James Bond shouldn't die. And he's not going to die because we're going to have another movie of James Bond. We'll have a different incarnation. Um, within the arc, I think it, it works. 
even though I don't think it was the only choice, I don't think they had to kill him. He wasn't fated to die based on Casino Royale, but it is an outgrowth of some of the logic of this um, this run of the series. And it also works with the, um, the sequential interconnected aims of uh, the Daniel Craig films. What about you, Anders? Yeah. Well, let, let's, let me back it up. That sounds pretty weary about the whole... Well, I guess uh, I feel as weary as Daniel Craig is in the role at this point. Um, we can, which we can definitely to, came across in the film. Definitely, definitely. I, I'm going to back it up a little bit here because and tie a few different threads together by... I want to consider for a moment the way that James Bond and comic books are kind of... and things of that nature are kind of touted as a kind of modern mythology... A legend, you know, legends and, and myths in that way, and I, I think about the thing, like something that uh, Alan Moore once said when he was developing uh, a comic series that he called Twilight of the Superheroes. But anyway, I digress. The point being that uh, you know the traditional myths and heroes, they had you had the entire arc. You had a beginning, you had a middle, and you had an end. Uh, you know, like so, Robin Hood even would, for instance, would have his ending where he, you know, he shoots the arrow up, and that's where he wants to be buried. You know. Arthur has his ending. These, these to truly take on that mythic status, you have to do that. And, and Moore yeah, said, and all the Greek, all the Greek yeah, figures, all die. the Greek figures, all that, right? So you get the full story arc. And, and Moore said the thing that was keeping superheroes from being real mythology was that they don't have those final arcs, right? So now, if I can t- sort of move sideways to something that you know, the guy who people have often said should should make make a Bond movie, and who's often said he kind of had interest in making a Bond movie, but of course, his Bond has flavored his films is, is Christopher Nolan, right? I mean, arguably with. Bits of Inception and uh, especially Tenet, Tenet, you're getting, uh, you know, some Bond characteristics. And I think it also bleeds into his Batman movies, which have elements of James Bond stuff, even with the globe traveling of, like, the beginning of Dark Knight. And especially Dark Knight Rises. And in Dark Knight Rises, I feel like Nolan is trying to kind of fulfill something of what Alan Moore suggested. To make Batman truly mythic, you have to have this end, this conclusion to the story, right? At least Bruce Wayne's arc. Now, spoilers for Dark Knight Rises as well. You know, it, it ends with this... Bruce potentially sacrificing himself, but we find out that he actually did escape, that he, uh, you know, gets his happy ending with Selena Kyle, and, and a new, you know, man picks up the mantle of the bat. But, and I like the way he does that, you know, because it's like, Bruce, you know, how depressing would Bruce's story be if he, he died, right? It would, like, be like, no one gives Bruce Wayne this, like, moment of grace at the end, you know, and, like, you have the great Michael Caine with the glass of Fanny Bronca. Giving a little toast <laughs> to you, Master Bruce. I'm not going to bury another Batman. Another Batman? How many Batmans has he been burying? How many are there? So there was a sense also with... So let's switch over to Bond. If Daniel Craig's Bond in this humanizing is also, in a sense, an attempt to make Bond solidify his mythology in some way that he never got. Bond is this, this serial story. You know, like in a comic book, you know, pumping out the novels, whether but the Fleming and the, the later ones and the films. They are, in some ways, a kind of very commercial... Uh, sort of, I love them. I love we we talk about like how the James Bond movies are. There's something like you know essential to them into our love of cinema and like they feel very comfortable and lived in for us a lot, especially the old ones. But with Daniel Craig, you're bringing in this humanity, and I, I'm going on way too long here. But the whole thing is, I would have liked to see Daniel Craig get a moment of grace, a moment of like peace at the end. If you're going to do this thing and end it, and to me. It's like so he does. So he doesn't die. Yeah, I think he shouldn't have died. And I think Anton, it's in the same way. He should end and leave. He can leave, but it doesn't matter because Bond is bigger than you. He's bigger than your character. And I think this gets to what Aaron was saying. So I'm kind of against it for two ways. One, because of the way that it misunderstands Bond's being bigger. Bond being bigger than 
this the, any actor who inhabits the role, even Sean Connery, the great Sean Connery, right? Uh, but at the same time, it's like this attempt to make it really, like really like real and serious, either in a sense of granting a finality or taking it psychologically plausible. And we have this thing in our culture where we like think that for something to be serious, somebody has to die and sacrifice themselves. There's no sense of seriousness without that, and I, I, I object to that. And I don't think that's normal. Well, I think that's just an especially in something that's so fundamentally it's an easier way to make something serious. Exactly, but Bond die. is fundamentally a fantasy. So is that the problem with Bond dying, is that Bond is not ultimately realistic, and you can infuse real elements of realism into Bond in order to, um, what I always thought was happening in Casino Royale, is that the infusion of some realism sort of um, offers different angles to view this same character. Totally. But it's still primarily uh, a fantasy. Yeah. yeah. And maybe they're losing that sense that this is... I think they fantasy. do. But I guess the one thing I would also say back to your myth thing is that like one reading of myth is right. It's um, it's a it's a narrative pattern. And if it includes all the correct elements in the in the pattern, then you get that story and it's satisfying. Um, and so that's why you can tell a myth in all sorts of different ways if it includes those those key elements in that pattern. And so I think thinking that you need to um, I don't know if they're doing this, but thinking that you need to sort of have this death ending in order to um, kind of enhance the mythic aspect of Bond probably misunderstands because Bond is recognizable. He's as recognizable not for his narrative stuff, but like it's the martini, it's the the tuxedo. Like those are those are actually the, the coded elements that signify Bond. Bond is a creature of the 20th century. Yeah. Consumer culture, post-war culture. Yeah, and he has he has elements of, uh, you know, the chivalric yeah, knight. totally. And, and all that sort of stuff, but he is definitely, uh, you know, uh, second half of the 20th century. And they were trying to figure out, the Craig really does fit in with the 21st century desire mm-hmm. to inject some sort of gritty realism. Like, we're forgetting that the, the, you were talking about Nolan and Bond, but we're forgetting that, right, like, Batman Begins and Casino Royale are also intimately linked, because we had this, you know, this the gritty take and that word was thrown around all throughout the the 2000s about these sort of reboots and stuff and that was the idea right like we're going to do the gritty reboot of of bond it comes down to a couple things and i think the simplest way that i can phrase it is that i watch james bond movies because james bond is cooler than i am and can do things that i cannot my connection to the character is born out of the fact that he is so much more than i am and so, you know, his adventures are so much larger than life. And he, it's a purely fantastic element in the dynamic yeah. between me and him. My affection for the character is not born out of me understanding a shared vulnerability or weakness with him. So, like, the more human you make James Bond, ultimately, the, you shrink him. He becomes smaller, in my mind. And this has nothing to do, really, with Daniel Craig's... Um, it's not meant to be an indictment of him. I think he's very good, and I I love Casino Royale. I love Skyfall. But there is a over-dependent... Like, it seems like the unsurety of the series within the 21st century, the, the way that they figured out, the filmmakers and Craig, to solve that so-called problem, which is that, you know, he has these elements that are very much the 20th century, not just the Cold War stuff, but also, like, the womanizing, the booze, the casual violence, the fact that he is a you know, refined figure with a distaste for the lower classes, this 
all these elements that make him, you know, not a common hero by the definition of the 21st century, they never resolved that really with the character. What they did is they buried it and they said, well, the thing that's going to supplement for that is this emotional take. We're going to make the actor and his charisma through the emotional storytelling win over the audiences that would otherwise be hesitant towards accepting this nowadays. Yeah. And and furthermore, even to that, this this bond is never really the the quite feels like the Eaton boy, despite us knowing that he's, you know, comes from a wealthy background. Um, this is a bond who drinks Heineken's more than he drinks martinis. Yeah. Yeah, no, but so you have it's the shrinking of him and I think it so like Casino Royale works because it's the peer behind the facade. But if you peer behind the facade every movie, yeah, it gets less special. Skyfall is great because it's the definitive statement on why the series is meaningful within a larger pop culture context. But if every movie is a statement about why James Bond is meaningful, it gets less so. And if every movie is trying to make you care more emotionally about James Bond, he just becomes another figure on screen that I'm supposed to be manipulated into caring about through his traumatic life story, but through his... his you know, through his weaknesses and his, his kind of inherent tragic faults. And that it seems like the movie ultimately is like, we need to guarantee that people, well, we need to guarantee two things. We need to guarantee that Daniel Craig never has to do another one of these movies. And we have to guarantee that the audience is going to feel moved by Daniel Craig's finale. You know, it's the most simplest way to do both those things simultaneously is you kill him off because we all know if we're being perfectly honest, is that Spectre was meant to be the final one for Daniel Craig. Yep. But they threw too much money at him, and they didn't have a successor plan in place, because Idris Elba was too old, and they didn't know who else should be him, because he was too popular And then they had the Danny Boyle thing collapsed. Exactly. The ending for Daniel Craig's Bond is the ending of Spectre, in which he says, I have better place... Like, he says to Blofeld, before he's, you know, he could kill him, on the bridge, and he's like, well, I have somewhere better to be right now. And he walks off, and he drives off with Madeline, and then he gets his driving into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And then this movie's like, well, in, you know, in the five years between Spectre and this movie, or six yeah. years, Spectre and this movie, it's like the filmmakers are like, well, we didn't get the, the emotional reaction we wanted to the end. Spectre didn't get the good reviews we wanted. So let's just have another go at it. <laughs> yeah, and this one is... I, I said that uh, Quantum of Solace was running on the fumes of Casino Royale, and in some sense, this film is running on the fumes of Spectre to some sense. But but, it, but Spectre and, like, never generated enough energy for the fumes yeah, exactly, to be to sustain. to sustaining. Whereas but, Casino Royale, so, I think, did. And I actually I remember rewatching uh, Quantum of Solace when I reviewed it for our retrospective, and well, it's still you know not my favorite Craig film. I think it's actually better than a lot of people give it credit for. I'll also say that when I was watching Skyfall, the first time I saw it, in the midst of watching it, and I admire that film quite a bit, I was annoyed at Sam Mendes and the filmmakers because I was saying, you don't get to do this again. That's what I was thinking when I was watching it. I was like, I allowed this for Casino Royale. Like, we got to see the serious Bond. I was like, you guys can't turn this into a thing where, like, everyone gets to do the serious Bond film that isn't the formula bond that you're like trying to do that. And ultimately Skyfall is still a great film, but what you're getting with both Spectre and now with no time for die is there is, they're kicking the can a third time, a fourth time. And I say this in my review, right? They're trying to be like, we want to have it. Like we want to have that, like that feeling of like, Oh, this is so good, but it's so serious. But here's the thing is that 
So uh, Roger Ebert always said that like James Bond was like sort of a 12 year old boy's fantasy. Yeah. So there's this idea then there. So how do we modernize or sort of update this 12 year old boy's fantasy? Okay, we'll make it more realistic. We'll add sort of some trauma, some emotion to the character. And they think that that elevates Bond into the realm of, I don't know, let's say like, you know, like sort of semi-adult fare or even adult fare. But what I think this actually reflects is that all of our taste is like brought down, yes. is 12-year-old boy, mm-hmm. right? Like, because right. all the things we're trying to make serious are still like, it's still James Bond, it's still superhero. No, it's like, I love all, still I love in all the these things. Boy realm. But like, I love these things, but, but they, they should, I can go watch serious things. I can read novels. Yeah. I don't yeah. go to a James Bond movie for that. And it also, I think it's a bit of a disservice to the character in the previous series to assume that Bond was never deep. Bond never had any emotional depth. Like, Honor Majesty's Secret Service remains still the most emotional Bond movie. Well, Casino Royale. No, but, I right? think Casino Royale is more, but no, but Honor Majesty's Secret Service is emotional, but it's like, it's that Connery and Moore and Lazenby aren't, and Brosnan are not defined by it, by his pain. Dalton mm-hmm. lets a little bit more of that pain into it. But it has no backstory, really, except for the, like, Felix getting killed, like, or No, her, but whatever. in License to she, Kill, it, it has the, shoot. um, there's the reference to her death in Secret Service. So, so, like, it, they do go to the well of Tracy's death but, often yeah. in the older movies. No, and they did it, yes, you know, in, yes. for, yeah, for, was it Free Hours Only? Well, like, other yeah. Stuff, yeah. But, Ants by so, in Casino Royale, right, like, the, the, it explains why Bond is the way he is to women, right? Like, mm-hmm. his relationship with Vesper, that sense of betrayal, that, that's supposed to explain why Bond is basically, you know, misogynistic, at, you know, at his worst, and at his best, he's cold and sort of uses women. Then Skyfall, what what Skyfall works on, and, you know, when I sort of said, like, you can't do this again, well, what they actually did was they didn't revisit that arc of the character, his his relationship to women. What they actually do is they take the the, the national dimension, mm-hmm. and yeah. like the sense of duty, and then it, they mine that for some depth. And the with the mother like, figure so, of... Exactly. Who is also like the the queen of the queen, the stand-in for that, right? Like, um, so that movie works because the depth is trying to probe is like, what is the duty that Bond has, and where does it come from? And part of it we discover is that because he, his um, his upbringing, and then like being an orphan, things like this, that the the realm becomes his like his family and that yeah so his sense of person is made by his duty to the realm and again they if make i can that be work. and if i can be but fair they, they, they do Spectre, touch on that a bit at the end of no time to die but i know but what's better no time again, to die don't to well, do right? is that they're, they're not actually adding say a third or a fourth dimension of like what they're actually trying to get at they're trying to do a, a, a sort of a deep female relationship with madeline swan who i don't think is a particularly good bond girl um i didn't particularly like her inspector I think she's even more lackluster in this film, and I'm not sold on the, like the, that. She's like the love of Bond's life. Like watching the movie, well, I was she's still not. Like, oh, no, like Vesper. Is Vesper is. is. She's just the escape hatch for him. Yeah. Let me That's, ask you another provocative question. What's What's more damaging for James Bond to die or for James Bond to have a kid? <laughs> I wasn't as bothered. I assume Bond I, I, had many other children. Exactly. Yeah. He has nothing he to never do knew about. <laughs> I, I like I the idea that he feels like he has res- see, responsibility. Responsibility. Right? Yeah. and Because he's a man who actually has a deep sense of responsibility. Otherwise, he would not be an agent for the Empire. 
But also, yeah, you would never serve the queen. Back he serves, into doing know. these things, you know, like even the Craig's iteration of the character who's so weary with it, he's always pulled back in. He retires how many times in these movies? Well, I think Bond's even retired in all the movies. Like, I want the grand total of how many times has Bond retired? Or gone a rogue agent? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. He's a rogue agent. Oh man. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. And I require you to hand over your weapon. Now. Okay, so I think we've all kind of made abundantly clear our ideas about the most controversial and probably the thing that overshadows everything else about this movie. Bond dies. I think it's ultimately a misstep. Anton, you're a little more open to it in terms of Craig's take on the character and Anders. You yeah, kind of I think had your... it fits within that, that I, well, To be fair, I thought it was absolutely going to happen. I would have bet no, I, yeah. so much money that it was going to I was willing to put money on it. And to be <laughs> honest, as you said, Aaron, in your intro, Craig and Fukunaga, and they're good enough. They, they, they give you a bit of the tingle of like no, the moment. Do. Like at the moment on the top. Because also, I really actually... There's some things I really like about this movie. As much as this is kind of damaging to it in me, to, for me in it many ways. It overshadows everything. But there's some other really cool stuff. Like, that base is awesome. That island oh, yeah. up by, like, Russia, Japan. And, like, that final shot of, like, the missiles coming off, you know, the British frigate and, like, coming in. It, it's it's kind of like, you know, it gives you that emotional uh, moment. But I, in the end, it kind of it feels unnecessary. It kind of feels like, oh. Like, it kind of actually feels cheap. It feels like cheap, like I've like it was a really great moment, but like ah, I almost feel like used. I don't know. You can only kill him once for it to any ever count, right? Because the second they bring him back, this ending no longer hits the same way. Well, they just got to reboot it completely. No, like, I know, of course, but what I'm saying so, is that so wait, we're gonna get Tom Holland as Young Bond, right? I hope not. No, we need Robert Pattinson as a wait, as a like caddish, quipping 60s Bond. Bond. Are we gonna have a Young Bond series? Is that yeah, if it's Pattinson, he's not young. But. Pattinson's <laughs> yeah. early 30s. Yeah, that's what I said. He's not a young, young guy. Like, He'd be like Craig. Like high school. They're going like to go for Connery's a high school yeah. age. <laughs> Except Connery looked ancient. Connery. He, he was always a man from the time he was young. Yeah. Um, no, but okay, so... No, you can, you can only kill him once, and so you shot your shot, and either it... Like, with the bold gamble that it either works hugely or might ruin it for a lot of people, and I feel like... Here's the thing. Even if I have issues with the killing... I know the people who like it will not feel the same about it the next time, you know, five years from now. So it's it's that kind of almost shock tactic of we're going to, like, shock you into a state of... Because you wouldn't go to a Bond movie to expect a mourn dying Bond. And what, <laughs> like, it, and what it did give them is they got a... They satisfied their star and they gave him the conclusion to his arc. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That's a whole different That's conversation why, of how much Craig control he had. I mean, he, he's but, he literally... But, production but can right. can we steer this back yeah okay so let's take the death aside because you know like my friend adam slizar big bond fan big online bond following he's like that ending no he's like i would rewatch this movie except for i would dread the knowledge that the last 10 minutes would make me really angry again oh so he's a hard no yeah um a couple other big bond but, fans that i know who might be listening they yeah real mixed feelings about this too but at, okay, so as a Bond movie, if we if, if we can mentally bracket off that ending, can we look at okay. this movie just as a Bond movie? So like, in terms of villain, in terms of the Bond girls, in terms of the gadgets, the lair, the plot, yeah, the like key how elements, does the... it? How do we think? So do we want to start with villain? Because I it seems yeah. like even people that like this movie 
hate Rami Malek in it. He's he's terrible. He's terrible. I, I I'm gonna say something controversial. I think he's completely fine. He's just give his his character makes no what? sense in the way he's written. No, yeah, and but also his performance is just awful. No, That's his bad. performance is fu- it's it's his performance is it's fine. A, no, it's he just, okay. His performance would have been fine in a Roger Moore movie where I was laughing and having fun. No, and a because good time. he doesn't he doesn't have the the charisma on the screen. Like like if you think it's about weak. The, the, it's weak. It's it is weak. It, it's thin. trying to it's be a thin like attempt to be like a, a classic Bond villain, but it. The one scene that Christoph Waltz is in the movie, he like mops the deck in like with Rami Malek, and just like you're just like there's someone who can be like the eccentric villain, like he he was just should never have been cast. But you know, I don't a lot, know why a lot of people cast. don't like Christoph Waltz at all as Blofeld. The same people they, that dislike Rami Malek do not like Blof Christoph Waltz. They, they think can he's dislike him as Blofeld. But I like, I just feel like I just enjoy his voice. I could listen to him. Talk no, I, I agree. Forever. But, my, but also, my, I think the Craig earlier Craig films all had better. Like, you know, Silva's amazing. I think Silva's amazing. Lashif's amazing. I think um, Mr. Green I actually is, think like, Ms. forgettable. Lashif's yeah, but a but, but, but a great great mo- actor, modest. But, um, um, yeah, but I I I am uh, more Bonfield. willing to forgive a performance that is like I want. He's not just going to be like a baddie. He's going to be like a weirdo. I, I'm yeah, more. Like, I'm but more. I actually don't that. buy Saffin as a character. He like no, this but that's guy, my problem with like, it. That's my that's, problem with it. Yeah, he, I don't buy him as a... writing doesn't really make Saffin doesn't really make sense. No, the writing because he's like the, the third age. party who hates also like. Yeah, why is he so and, young? Like, if he rescued he's not, her, he's he's like, more connected like to, to Madeline. Talk about these sort of plot yeah. goals, but like that makes no sense. But also, honestly, like the movie never actually like clarifies what his plan is. I don't know what his plan is. I, all I know is that he wants, like, Madeline to live with him on the island, and he wants to spread these nanobots. But you get that more through the, the funny scientist character, who I thought it was, like, a Oh, that guy's screen. great. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's, I think the issue here is that Safin only shows up halfway through. Blofeld overshadows the parts that he's in. And in some ways, Madeline and her past, you know, quote-unquote, their secrets, which... To be fair, I think the movie also does wrong by her, and it rewrites a lot of the things I really liked about her Inspector. To be to basically briefly say it, it's like Inspector. She's written as this character who does not want to be in this world whatsoever, and actively forces her way out of it. She's like, "I'm not a Bond girl." Basically, I'm gonna say I'm leaving this world because it's my traumatic past. I'm not gonna have nothing to do with it. And James, do you want to come with me? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's she's this redemption because she's a she's essentially a real person added into a Bond film. This movie is like, no, no, she's got a dark secret. But the dark secret is like, what, she was tr- like almost killed as a child and then the Saved guy came it. back to murder? Like, you know, like she owed some like psychopath a, a death. Also, real people don't think like, like Why that. does he have the like, the math? Like, I just feel like they, they're trying to set him up to be some like amazing villain by having like that opening sequence. Yeah. Right? Because you're going to, again, you're going to do one of the, the uh, you're going to sort of like violate one of the norms of Bond by not having like a Bond opening where it's Bond on mm-hmm. a mission. No, or but to be fair, that's okay. even down from Russia with Love, right? Like, yeah, yeah like, other movies do that, but what I'm saying is like, then you do that in order to set yeah. up this mysterious masked man. And it's gonna be so menacing, mm-hmm. and then like he never lives up to but, like that promise. But this, this is like weird mask. But man. this is again the thing. I think so much of the writing in this movie, the writing is the weakness, and the writing is the thing is that it it not only seems like they've hemmed themselves into a corner. And, like, this movie is their means of, like, you know, tying the knots because they created they created all these avenues for the character from the previous movies. And then it's, like, they 
This is the only way they figured out how to like tie it all off nice and now clean they have to and just start again. Because exactly, they, yeah. but. Safin as a character seems a means of just like I need to create. Ba- we have to work backwards, forwards, a reverse, reverse engineer. engineer. Yes, that's the word. We need to reverse engineer Bondine. So we need a guy who works with something that would can guarantee that he can't ever be with the people he loves. Okay, so we have to have the nanobots thing. Okay, so we need a guy working the nanobots. Okay, but we need Madeline in here, so he needs to write into this past. Like Safin is almost beside the point. Mm-hmm, absolutely right. And but then why is he so over the top if he's like going to be beside the point? I because I think they also more modest villain. because I think they also want to have the idea of like we're going to give you the crazy Bond Doctor No character. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, but I also think that's my feeling on this Rami movie. Malik, that, like, yeah, Rami Malek though also obviously really relished the opportunity. Yeah, and and yeah but like, the movie wants dude, to be. But again, it's not his fault. And it no, wants to be the good but he really Bond. he so badly wanted to do it. It's like, but wouldn't you love to play a Bond villain? I know. I know. The thing with Rami Malek is that I I've come. To he's been he's a good guy who's been cursed by some like how old fame. is he? How old is he? He's like he's like your, your age or my age. He has no business being a Bond villain at that age. Like I'm kind of like it's just because he won an like, Oscar. That's really why. Yeah, Matt Nicholson have, was young though. Ish. But the dif- the difference is that Lashif, the way he's played is played as a cool. uh, and he's modest villain. He's not actually world dominant. He's a, he's like a modest villain. He's not an arch villain or or like a, a mastermind. But he's also played, he's designed as being a uh, an equal and yes, opposite to Bond. Exactly. So the whole point is that he's the uh, he's like the, it's a great, the villain yeah, world of exactly. Bond. It works. He's like he's a knight the way that Bond is a knight. Yeah. He's not he's not the, the king or the queen on the chess exactly. board. But like just again, just I <laughs> I don't I don't know why I'm even doing this, but like <laughs> Rami Malek defending him. He's a good actor with a very limited range. And you have to pick what He's casted in. Apparently, Mr. Robot yeah. is his in Mr. Stuff. Robot. He's amazing. He's absolutely yes. amazing. I think and that's it's so like well that. suited to him. I like that. Yeah, and he's good in some other small roles in movies, but he hasn't seen Bohemian Rhapsody. Bad movie. Terrible cast. He couldn't really do anything with those fake teeth. Um, and so here, I think it's like he's trying to overcompensate for how thinly written the character is, and so he's putting it into his performance. Frankly. And I don't the, always want to blame the actor yeah. for that. It's so like what about, the characters, what about the, other the director, characters all the people. In the film? But, yes, but, so written. let's move on to the other thing. So like, okay, going from a universal bad element to Safin, the good, universal good element is Paloma and yes. Darmas <laughs> as no, the Bond girl in Cuba. Not enough in the movie. <laughs> yeah, because she's actually like a Bond girl. Even yeah. though she's another like, agent too, which is cool. No, like, but like, and you can do that. Like Bond's yeah. been with exactly. Agent she's too. cool. Like you can have that, and she can she can have a gun, she can fight, but she's still. Like a like a bong, but and she's funny and she has chemistry and she's cool. Like it's like I don't know. Yeah, it feels like she's from a different movie almost. Like well, no, she, but she's a hallmark of the series. You yes. know, she's she's beautiful, sexy, cool, and she's disarming because we assume one thing about her and then she switches into another mode. Exactly, yeah. classic Bond thing, actually. But that um, also shows that the cu- the the Cuban scenes had like a different energy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and like. Like I, I said in my review, get the most like, Felix. Um, like yeah, like feel like Jeffrey Wright's Felix. Like there's so much like chemistry between him and him and Daniel Craig. Like they just oh, yeah. have like a really good like rapport, eh? Yeah, like and I was just like, that's like they seem like real friends. One of the highlights. It's one of the character highlights of the movie. Is that is actually that there's kind of like they're like we're back at it. Like you know, like yeah. together. But it, like that doesn't. I'm not sold on a lot of the other. What do you um, think about Nomi? Like 007, the new 007. Because I, I think she's pretty cool in that. In those sequences when she's like in working Cuba, parallel, the Cuba and Bahamas, yes. Bond, that's very yes. good. Yeah, when she's like when she's foiling what they're trying to do. Yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna shoot the rope and then you know like they're having sort of their contests about who can do that better. 
I like that sort of stuff. I, I did feel like the whole movie suggests this, like, and it's not so much um, the actress, like uh, Latasha Lynch. Is it Latasha Lashana Lynch? Lynch. Sorry, Lashana Lynch. It's not so much just her. It's that the whole film shows this sort of anxiety about the character where they feel like they have to make her too cool because they're worried that if you're going to have someone be 0072, like, they're like, are people going to... Like, they're already trying to anticipate and play against a perceived backlash to the idea. No, but people are going to love it. And I think a lot of people did like it. But my problem is that it's just, like, there's elements of, like, Halle Berry's jinx, which was, like, that (laughs) done to the max, where it was, like, Halle Berry's jinx, she's better than Bond in every way, and she's, like, was gain all the quips and die another day to, like, try and do. And they do a little bit of that, and you're, like, whenever they do... The Jinx stuff, I was like, don't like it. When she's just like a capable agent foiling Bond and they have some antagonism, I liked it. Yeah. So that was her but movie. I think she's best when it's just like, give her the gear and the big machine gun and let her just like go to work. <laughs> yeah. I buy her. She's she's credible in the role. <laughs> and she, again, another thing of these these Craig movies almost, especially the later entries, but then they, repeating then themselves they... is that is that she's so much um, money penny from Skyfall. Yeah. Yeah, they just Who's better? Money Penny Naomi, the curve. Harris is poor, great. poor Money Penny can't just actually come out and help. Why? But why? Q gets movie, to come, like, but she doesn't get to. I don't get it. So they create this new character, but like they were already doing this with Money Penny, but like I just feel like they kicked that character to the curb in the past two movies. Especially how good like Naomi Harris is in this, mm-hmm. the small screen time. I actually like Ben. I still like um, Ben Wishaw's Q. I like that again. They yeah. like get him out of the field a bit in his like little plane thing at the end, and he's a little bit of the. Uh, he's been a little bit of the guy in MI. So in the Mission Impossible films. Oh, Simon um, Pegg. Yeah, he's a little bit of the Simon Pegg because they're bringing like the gadget man on the mission. No, so but I, I feel again, a bit of I watched. I watched License to Kill last night. Q is with him for the second half of the movie. He's at the casino. He's my uncle. <laughs> like <laughs> License to Kill. And remember, really? oh, he's yeah. 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 He's on. He's in the field with him, and he's also in the field with him in good Octopussy. Old, good old Desmond. <laughs> and he's just having such a good time. I love it. So what what would you say about like? Action sequences, because I think we all agree the Cuba scene is great. Yeah. What about I, like the, the opening Norwegian car chase stuff? Or yeah, the Italian the opening in, scene in the opening in the car chase with the with the Austin Martin and the like machine guns. That's a great scene. The, the car, yeah, the car, the car chase, the motorcycle, and then the car chase in Matera in that amazing Italian um, city up yep. in the mountains. I thought that whole sequence, like all. Like, I remember mostly that sequence when I think back on the film. Okay, I, I thought so, it was, like, great guys, action, but also great use of location. Did you guys, um, what screen did you see it on? Was it just the biggest one that was available? It was a big one, but it wasn't IMAX. Okay, no, so I saw an IMAX, IMAX yeah. and a significant portion of this movie did the full screen. Hmm. And the opening, se- like, the opening flashback scene with Madeline, like, the cold open, and the Matera scene was, like, mostly IMAX shots. And so when you get these super, super wide compositions of the city on the hill and him racing like on a vertical across, it's very beautiful because, okay, Kerry Fukunaga, we haven't really talked much about him here. I don't think he's the strongest writer. His whatever um, story input he had on this is a little bit weak, but visually he carries the stuff that he had in True Detective and some of the other work he's worked on here where it's an extreme... You know, it's it's in one sense it's very modern. It's a lot of smooth lines. It's a lot of um, perfectly balanced compositions. A lot of high contrast close-ups and then like really deep focus shadow work on like wide shots. But he has there's a lot of momentum in some of these action scenes. Whether it and the and very almost simple classical Hollywood filmmaking stuff of like working on the verticals with the motorbike, 
the scene in the Norwegian forest of like what's on and off screen with the mist, right? Or the scene yeah, and the ferns. Yeah, yeah, and the, the ferns. But there's all you know. It's kind of like a misty forest too and stuff. And he's yeah. like, you don't know where characters are, and it's playing with space. Sometimes you're abundantly clear. Sometimes you're not. And even in the final um, scenes, when like there's that whole one take action scene shot of bond going up the staircase <laughs> and that, it, you know yeah, it's got like it's, elements of goldeneye or something in that's it. it's and, a pretty intense scene i thought one of the better action scenes was actually the um it, like, it doesn't even have bond in it it's just like the heist of the yeah yeah that was the, really of good the although it felt a little bit like they're trying to do uh reminds me of a bit of sky scene. or the skyfall tenet. no it uh, reminded me of tenet yeah like and really that was like but also the, no the, the skyscrapers the gadgets they used the skyscraper stuff in uh in skyfall as well in yes that, it Shanghai. Me of that in Shanghai. I don't love the the villain's base as much as you guys in this film. I like it because and, I really like like even like uh, you only live twice and stuff like that with like the well, big what I don't the poison, like about it. The poison forest is from the book of you only live yeah, twice. Yeah. The gar- poison garden. <laughs> what Super I don't cool. like about the base is that it feels too much like it was designed as a video game setting. Maybe that's like, why I don't mind because I've ge- engaged with Bond like, so much through video games in my life. So much so. like some of the levels. In, Guys, I'm I'm in, in, in Anton. I, I am almost I am almost convinced that the layout of the fortress is Temple from Goldeneye. I was actually going to say Temple because I was no mm-hmm. like the main the main like, room is the same temple. design as Temple. I uh, okay, and for me because Goldeneye that. was such a like key thing in my like Bond fandom. I have a. I don't mind the video gameish aspect of it, and well, I actually think not, the base is really cool. It's not that like it's, I wish they would have leaned into that cartoony aspect. That, it's like, a cool base, but like I don't know. The, to me, there's some unevenness about the film when it tries to have some of these like more outlandish aspects of Bond, and they don't seem like they fit within um, the emotional character world they've created. And like that's like the villain to the location of of that. So outlandishness. What about the bionic eye? I love it. Love it. He's I like it, another acrobatic villain <laughs> with a weird like. But but do you yeah. think Anton that the bionic eye crosses the line of kind of the serious and the not? Yeah, like that's definitely another example of like that's like a you know that's a Roger Moore uh, in the twenty first century like what a villain would have right that's Jaws that you know that's something like that so I don't mind that I but again like it just doesn't mesh mm-hmm. and. It doesn't. The movie doesn't seem to have as much of a command of those classic Bond elements. They're deployed in a very. Um, like, I mean, art, artificial sounds weird because they all they are all, yeah. all <laughs> hyper artificial. It's just there's almost like a self consciousness about their deployment with the lair, things like that, and the fact that it feels like Goldeneye that doesn't fit within the world of these Craig films for me in some sense. But so can, like, and they've thrown in a few more quips for Craig. That again, he doesn't necessarily feel like he's like delivering the way he. There was that one later quip in the movie that it did not work at all with him. But there were some of the quips did work. The later one, I'm trying. What was it? I it was like remember. he's all out of breath now, or something like that. It was. It was something like that. It's like after he's yeah. killed the guy, <laughs> he makes some comment, or is it when he rips the guy's eye out or something? I don't know. No, but so it's so always, and we've done it here a bunch. Like it's really easy to take a ser- a film like a bond movie and just reflect it back on all the bond series right it's so yes. and these ones are so self-consciously constructed they're so self-reflexive inherently in the filmmaking but if we compare them to just general action movies right now how does the how does this compare cuz in my mind that makes the movie look a lot better in yeah. relief even though it has a lot of the cinematic universe isms 
just terms of action filmmaking, things like that, it's, it is like a, a huge step above. <laughs> On the level of the sequence, this film is very good. On the level of the individual filmmaking elements, like if you took a discrete 20-minute block... I actually think it's there's a lot of great stuff. Like it's hard to quibble that so it doesn't it, it doesn't have the bland that TV, it, that TV problem that we always have where it's like there's great like scenes but you're yeah, not like the overall command of story is No, it's not even that because I think the cinematography and uh, everything is like at a higher level. Like I think that yeah. it's like cinematic. I never I never get that it, there's no the I don't get the muddiness of like the no. finales of like a Marvel movie. Or the like that don't feel it was shot on a like Atlanta like parking lot. No, right? I know like, TV. I'm, what I meant was that a lot of the uh, the good TV dramas now have are a collection of good scenes, but not yeah. But the command of but I don't o- think it of a links, narrative it does, overall. The narrative overall, I agree that that's accurate. It has the bloat. I think, it has the yeah. bloat. I think that's accurate. Oh, this movie's so this movie's so bloated. Totally accurate. And it, like it, the movie, the it's almost perfect because it fits. The weariness and like the visual look of, of like right Daniel now. Craig's um, Bond, that like the it, the fact that it's like sort of stretched and like overplayed a bit, or like it sort of works for. It does it feel like the right Bond movie. This is the Bond movie. We, if to to paraphrase the the, the, we deserve. the, the Dark Knight as yeah, the Bond movie we deserve. Even if it's that no, but that's the need. fascinating thing about James Bond movies and why as a historical document they work better than any other pop culture film as a encapsulation of the styles and modes of storytelling of the area. So like, you know, 10 years from now, it's going to be so easy to look at no time to die and be and like specter and say they're superhero it, movies. <laughs> is that they're the response of the bond franchise to, to Marvel Avengers Endgame and things like that. Yeah. Like there's so much stuff where you're like in a bond movie. Yeah. It is like a time capsule. It's like, but they, they from the fashion be, to like all the interests, the gadgets, like it's it always super, that's actually fun, exactly into that moment. And, and Quantum of Souls and Casino uh, Real or the Born type stuff, yep. yeah, yeah. And Skyfall is Nolan. I just find it really funny. Like it, yeah. However much um, for things that like really bother me about No Time to Die, those very elements actually make it more appropriate as a movie of this moment and a weird like reflexive statement on what blockbuster filmmaking is in this year. Well, I'll also say that the film, like, like, yeah, like. I appreciate this film the way I appreciate Tenant too, in that there's like their command of like like you want to see a, a cool action movie. They're just so much better than all the other action 100%. movies. Yeah, good action from their scenes. choice of locations, the way they use them, the way they're shot with cinematography, the way they conceive of and play out action sequences. You know, and it's like I'm all for Tenant. I have some. We've talked about our qualms with this film, but you're like overall like this is a movie I'll probably watch again at some point. And I made a point to see in theaters, and I was happy I did. And there's so many movies now where I'm like, wasting my time. And that's that's the kind of where I land on it, where it's like, as a diehard Bond fan, and like, I consider myself that, Bond is one of my favorite, if not my favorite franchise, right? And so anything that is done radically to it, I react very strongly to. But I feel like I've, I'm in that place where I know... That just because the 25th Bond movie does some things I don't like doesn't mean the 24 Bond movies prior are all of a sudden like sullied or ruined or anything. Yeah, like that. exactly. Ruined. Like I'm I actually seriously thinking of rewatching a whole bunch of them during November because <laughs> I'll think of TBS 30 Days of Bond. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That 007 so Days of Christmas and all that stuff. Uh, I love that stuff. But so yeah, like compared to any run of the mill blockbuster, there is a craftsmanship 
that they care about in these films. And yeah. it's too bad that it doesn't carry over to the script, but you know, the but performers, the script, as the you said, part, is very action. much a, a response to the the current trends, right? Yeah. Like it's hard to like like they they they're trying to go and there's a certain segment of the audience that is going to be really into that that they can like oh, yeah. Yeah. trace the whole like it's a, as it, you know, to is Bond just another cinematic universe now? Yeah, it kind of is like the Bond, yeah. James Bond cinematic universe. And now you can do like Nomi, a 007 story or something. Like, I don't know. It doesn't have to even like, like they're going to like start doing all this stuff now that, so I, I hate to say it, but now that Amazon owns it, like when, you know, but it's going to be really interesting. tying into what you're saying, I have one point to cap off some of our earlier discussion mm-hmm. and then leading into bond as a franchise right what now. comes next yeah so the first comment was is just that one thing that disappoints me about the movie is that this movie that was that some of the things it tries to achieve a certain level of seriousness it doesn't work for me but then there seems to be missed opportunities that could have been even more audacious and so one thing i found really interesting when i was watching the movie and that seems to kind of go away is bonds like lashing out at Madeline when he thinks she's betrayed him. And I thought like if you if they had pushed that further and like literally made him like walk away from her and like maybe she's not even in like the movie until like the end. Like like there's just like what if you made the arc around his feeling of betrayal? Like like they 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 try to go run with it, but like I just feel like that that's something where they like really could have pushed even further and made it a little bit more daring. And like really draw out the fact that you're like, if you want Bond to be like yeah. lashing out at her, if like, you want to, yeah, exactly. No, that's a really good point. I if like you that. want to reveal something genuinely provocative and ugly about the character, that's a good opportunity to do it. And then it would, then the arc would be his own realization of what he's done yes. and returning, and that would give him more, uh, more. And you could pathos, bring in the best more, stuff exactly. where, he, where he realizes, you know, like that why the mistake he this, that he like, made when he pushed her away and stuff. Like, yeah. And so the, that's to sort of cap up this the seriousness thing. But, like, I think that Anders talking about the, the franchise stuff. Then what I also find weird about this movie is the interplay of, like, this, uh, like, we might call it the Last Jedi effect, where you have this battle within a franchise between films, and they go back and forth and kind of, like, uh, alter what the, the trajectory that the previous film was maybe doing. And it's when it seems to have to do partly with, like, the state of franchises dominating things, but then trying to bring in sort of auteur-minded directors to make one installment, right? And so the way that uh, in The Last Jedi, uh, Ryan Johnson goes out of his way to sort of like, when he has Luke throw away the lightsaber is like kind of like a mocking of the ending of Force Awakens. But I feel like in this Bond film, you get some of that where it's like, can we just all talk about like, I was annoyed that Quantum was never used and Sam Mendes had or uh, had to go and do Spectre as the the secret society, and then here, then there's like, oh, we killed all of Spectre, and you're like, what's going on? Like, it was, I don't know what to make of this kind of like casual trashing of like what the other films were trying to set yeah. up. Yeah, you have the Spectre meeting in Rome in Spectre. That's like you know eyes wide shut, global cabal monsters all meeting and like the most high security place in the ever. And then in this movie, they're just partying in Cuba and they all get gassed to yeah. death. Like, yeah. no, but this, this identifies. Uh, so, and again, these films are at war with themselves. Uh, the tension in storytelling, the desire, t- when you want to go with a franchise thing, they both want, as you, I think you identify this really well, Anton, that you would think that if one wanted to create a, a s- overall story arc, there would be certain things that you would like stick to. 
and like yep. plan out. And this it seems like, like Spectre right. as being the villain. And it seems originally like originally even Quantum in was. these films, like a little bit like in the Disney Star Wars, they're constantly re, uh, undoing what happened before, purposely being like uh, you know subversive or, or things like that. And then, but at the same time, you're following the logic of the this your series. You're not just doing true you know episodic storytelling which could be really satisfying you're still enslaved to this like thing so it's like this push pull within it to be a franchise to be dictated by the desires of the franchise audience at the same time that they're trying to have the auteur and have the you know sort of iconoclastic uh episode that undoes the things that happened before it's like this is this is fundamentally incoherent and there's some incoherence with the the desire to be both like the daniel craig's being the most sequential and like linked together mm-hmm. of all Bond films, but at the same time, like I always again was sort of bothered with Skyfall when all of a sudden, like we went from you know uh, Bond Begins to Bond's old and grizzled and like kind of washed up and jokes about like you're kind of like getting out like too old and you're like wait a second how old is this Bond is he is he starting off as that an also agent? it also is actually over. End? Uh, states how, how old Madeline Swan? You're like, like, it doesn't make any sense. It also <laughs> overstates how connected the some of the original films were, as we've already mentioned in this episode, right? Like the Connery ones, there's nothing within them that really contradicts. Like they're they don't explicitly, aside from a few points, like reference back. But but they're not. But they're so clearly sequential in a uh, right in a story in a comic book right. way. No, but they're they're clearly the same world and same character. They're true sequels and not just episodes. Yeah. It's that's the kind of funny thing, right? With it's like, oh, there's almost like some kind of crazy radical style of filmmaking that would solve these inconsistencies. It's like if you just treated each episode, each movie as its own thing and just let the filmmaker do whatever they wanted with it, you can just ignore it or whatever the next time. <laughs> it's like it's almost like wait, what Bond did for like 40 years. Who who could have thought up this amazing yeah. way to approach a franchise? We've gone quite long on this and I think it's 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 appropriate because we care so much about Bond. Like, if we had a Star Wars episode, we would go along. It's just the inevitability. The more We're we care about you it, with eventual a Star Wars episode. Well, whenever us. Ryan Johnson's or Taika Waititi's movie or whatever comes out, basically, just like final comment here or question: It's what do you think comes next for the series? Do you think they're just going to reboot it in a few years and act like nothing's normal, or is it going to become a full-on cinematic universe with spin-offs and all this? Or are they going to do what, again, like my friend Adam said, is a possibility, is like Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson might just retire, and it might just kind of, the whole like Eon era might just end. Yeah. Do we know any, like, I guess my concern is like I, re- I, rec- I realize that Right, Bond was in some sense acquired by Amazon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. And exactly. Bezos has specifically mentioned his interest in doing something. Yeah, like and he mentioned that he basically was like, it wouldn't be hard to make a Bond movie, but like, so I'm worried that they're going to turn Bond into Star Wars, where it's like you sort of try to figure out all the viable, profitable properties you can derive from it, and then spin those out. So in some sense, we'll continue milking the series until it becomes unprofitable. <laughs> in some sense, like a you know, if the Broccoli clan wants to sort of cap it off and just be like, this is the end of the Eon, this might be the time to do that. On the other hand, I wouldn't mind just if they were just like, let's just do another and we'll like, we'll do what we've always done. We'll find a new Bond. We'll just sort of continue on. My preference would be that they just do that, that they find a new Bond and try something different because who knows where filmmaking is going to be in two, three years by the time they get this going and, you know. 
Yeah. Uh, the world will be a very different I, world, I think, I by that like point, to, to be honest. Um, I don't think they're going to do something really radical like a period piece. Um, and my fear is that more that what they're going to do is sort of a combination of both uh, making it into some sort of like Marvel like franchise and the kind of like overworking it that Disney's done, uh, you know, with some of their franchises of like, like my big fear would be like, you're going to have, like, I'm, I, I joke, but like, you know, young Bond, uh, yeah. uh, Tom Holland as like a coming straight fresh out of, you know, you've recruited into the double O thing and like literalize, so literal, literalize all, yeah, all that stuff, you know, yeah, the, you know, frankly, there's things the Kingsman does that, you know, are more reminiscent of the old Bond movies, however distasteful you find those movies. <laughs> um, I kind of like the but, second one quite a bit. Do you think that, like, I guess my concern, and, like, these are sort of questions where I can't answer because I don't know, but, I like, Bond, the, the, the production team, the producers determine Bond, and then they bring in directors. The real question is, like, who's going to be the successor, mm-hmm. creator, helmer of Bond? And that that's a huge question because the fact that it was, like, Broccoli's daughter who took over is part of the huge reason why they've been so protective about the franchise because it's like a family business to some extent Mm. my i guess my my pessimistic take would be like it's going to turn into a you know a franchise with all its various spin-offs with which will be a radical um i think like a really bad economic decision on amazon's part because nobody gives a crap about any element of the bond world except for james bond himself and it has to be, like, specific elements that we pointed out here for that to register. Like, you can't get rid of every Bond element, and then it's just a name. It's, like, literally the world's most boring name. Oh, man, <laughs> Nightma- Nightmare of Nightmares. They they get the digital rights to, like, some of the old Bonds and, like, try and bring them in. But my optimistic thing is that so much of Eon Productions' problems over, you know, since the License to Kill has been... This studio buys it, then this studio buys it, then this studio buys it. Oh, we wanted to make a movie here? Oh, no, there was a writer strike. Oh, we wanted to make a movie here? Uh, we didn't have the money because our main studio, UA, died. So yep. something dries up, and it's like, that money well from Amazon is not going to dry up. I would actually be quite pleased if Bond stopped being the beyond end-all event movie that only comes out every five years, and you just get a new Bond every two years, and it's just another action blockbuster. I don't know. I just like I. I'm just so nostalgic. Like I love the Bond as the event, and like back in the day when you had like magazines, you get a magazine where it's yeah, like showing the Roger, new watch. But Roger like, Moore made a Bond movie like every two years. Yeah, but the but that's true. That's but true. But we do forget true. that like the Connery movies much were Brosnan made though. one every two or yeah. three years. The Craig's a very but they were still events. Like like when Thunderball no, but, op- and opened, it was like such a huge like adjusted for like inflation and stuff like no. there was literally people lined up around the blocks they, like. they need to be blockbusters but what i'm saying is that they i think they have to veer a back out of the idea of being like prestige films sure yeah 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 and back don't into stop the trying to win an oscar man. just do it like mission impossible does with their movies it's like every two three years you get a giant action spectacle but it's not they don't care about like trying to be serious in the sense of awards or recognition they just happen to get that because they care so much about the stunts Bond? What are you doing here? Good morning, Q. I thought you'd come. I have. 
There's just one thing I need. Put the dot there, you know, send the bond off into his missile imploded grave. <laughs> like the film, we just have to yeah, kill just, it off right now. We just have to take our whiskey and clink the empty glass and say, cheer you. Um, <laughs> don't want to belabor this too long here, but usually in the current, we talk about, you know, what is happening in larger movies or the season or the idea of Hollywood in general. We've spent a lot of time talking about that in this Bond review, but because it is October and it's the October episode, I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't have a little bit about horror. So, like, Halloween is almost upon us, and and like so many other people, we spend a lot of the month watching horror movies. Yeah, I I mean, for me, like, of all the major holidays, like, well, I I have a very, like, as I mentioned in our very first episode of the podcast like a very almost like a christmas movie liturgy of christmas movies that i watch but the you know to me halloween its primary appeal is cinematic like i mean it's one night when the kids go trick-or-treating and i'm not really into like a lot of the other decorations and things but the movies i'm like ah, i'm all about the movies well i think yeah and you know every october we make a point on the site of reviewing movies under the the title like halloween horror it's become our our horror sub bracket. One of our mainstays. It's a mainstay. It's been for many years on the site now. We have almost 60 reviews for horror there. And part of this is, you know, us trying to make up for what we think is like a dearth in good criticism about horror because horror criticism often falls into either diehards who, you know, they just want a fanboy slave over, like, you know, salivate over whatever horror movie or critics who just don't want to give it the time of day whatsoever because they think it's stupid. So I thought we could just briefly offer a few horror movie suggestions to, like, cap this off. You guys can think about that for a moment. I'm just going to quickly chime up that I saw Halloween Kills, which is the sequel to the 2018 David Gordon Green movie. My grandmother was right. The boogeyman was real. It's over. We can't hurt anyone ever again. No one told you. Told me what? Somebody in there? Michael Myers is alive. Um, I was very excited for it because I really liked the 2018 kind of legacy sequel that undid all the sequels except for the first film, um, which, funnily enough, had been done before within the series with H20. But, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, Halloween Kills, I've been noticing a lot of very negative reviews online and a really kind of hostile response to it funnily enough coming from a lot of people who purport to be big horror movies fans but they're also like it's so stupid he just goes around murdering people and it's like well you're kind of telling on yourself that you don't watch slasher movies because most slasher movies can kind of be summed up as a supercut of kills i the issue with this movie i would say and it's i would say it's like a minor disappointment it comes from the fact that the movie is so clearly a middle chapter that it doesn't want to resolve anything because we Mm. know that halloween ends is coming next year Oh, it okay. already planned that ahead of time. And so Laurie spends the entire movie in the hospital. Deputy Hawkins spends the entire movie in the hospital. So it's left to like her daughter, played by Judy Greer, and various other inhabitants of the town to like 
we're gonna, you know, we're gonna put a stop to Michael Myers, and they get the mob together and they go on a kind of wild. Is there rampage. any literal pitchforks? There is a literal pitchfork in the movie, <laughs> um, but so like the movie's kind of messy, and I was in the theater being like, "Oh wow, you just this went on to like a wild tangent with these char- other characters that we have just met for like ten minutes," and so you know it doesn't really work as a as a movie overall. But if you like slasher movies, if you like this vis- version of Michael Myers, there's a lot to enjoy in just the sheer brutality on display. And there is some, like, the I think the kill count in the original Halloween movie is like three or four. Mm-hmm. And in the 2018 version, it's probably like ten. He killed like t- 11 people in the opening scene of this movie. <laughs> and then he goes on, I think over the course of the movie, he probably kills like 40 to 50 people. And in, well, it's in, Halloween Kills. Ex- well, that's the hilarity. I'm like, the title is actually, like, it's purely descriptive, <laughs> and it works as like a verb. It's like, it's just the kill. Um, so if 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 you want to approach it like that, it's it's pretty enjoyable. Even if I'm, you know, it's like I'm gonna go watch uh, Halloween Ends whenever it comes out, and I think that will probably be more satisfying because it's finally like Laurie again, <laughs> trying to finish it, but. uh this one has it has fun moments. It has really stupid moments, and it kind of has that standard. However much it um, the 2018 version was a you know a reimagining and a supposed like going back to basics. This one is so much in line with some of the the sequels, specifically Halloween 2, the Rick Rosenthal movie, that it's it's hilariously appropriate for this series. For it like immediately after you know resetting the timeline or whatever, it just immediately verges off into like wacky, goofy gruesomeness again. I, I want to see it. I, I actually kind of like Halloween too. I need to rewatch it. Not quite as much as I like three, but remember, I don't. Well, I don't even really love the first Halloween. But um, Anton said we're gonna rewatch it on the big screen and this. Yeah, Halloween no, well, I, I'm overdue for because actually, movie, here's but. the other thing: the first Halloween is actually like a really like great atmosphere movie. It it's not actually all just about the slasher. It's, it's a stuff. vibes movie, exactly. That I've been uh, the whole pitchfork since it reminds me of like. One of the things I've been enjoying this uh, this Halloween season is Criterion has all the Universal monster movies and like Karloff uh, Lugosi films, so I'm enjoying some of those. I, some of the revisiting a couple and then uh, a couple that I've never seen before. Were any of them? Um, was there anything sort of uh, stood out to you on revisits or or that you had watched and been like, whoa? Oh, I, th- I think I the James the James Whale films, I think Invisible Man and the Two Frankenstein's are like quite a bit better than all the other ones. It's alive. It's alive. It's moving. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. In the name of God. I, I enjoyed the Mummy, even though, as Aaron, as you said, it's a creaky, it's so film. Creaky. <laughs> uh, because just because I love Carlos' makeup and his performance in it, it's like as I think I forget who it was. Someone mentioned it, but like how great of it is a horror movie. But there's like literally long scenes of the villain like having conversations in daylight in like London <laughs> with them about <laughs> stuff. Um, and I had never seen the Raven or the Black Cat, the uh, Lugosi uh, Carlos films, which are have their have their pleasures i think uh the black cat's a little bit better than the raven but um and i'll probably watch uh the wolfman and the i want to check out the spanish language version of dracula that they made concurrently mm, with the original because i've never seen that and that's on that there. seems really interesting yeah. i haven't seen it 
What about you, Anton? Is there any horror movies that you've caught up with or ones you mean to? The other to? weekend I watched The Purge, the first one, and I've kind of like wildly mixed feelings about that movie in the sense that I feel like the concept is amazing. And so I'm, I'm actually like, okay, I'm going to watch more of these Purge movies, but the execution is pretty weak. It's mostly just Ethan Hawke running around with like a flashlight in the house. And like, you know, horror movies often get like a bad rap for like characters doing stupid stuff. And you're like, I don't know why that person went there. And I just feel like the, that movie's like epitomizes that where you're like, you know, like it, it has such a great idea. And then you're like, and that's what you guys chose to do with it. Like, and that's what each character did. Okay, I guess. But I'm looking forward to watching some of the other ones. Um, and there's there's definitely, like, elements even in that one, even though I'm pretty mixed on it, that were, like, pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I recommend watch Purge Anarchy because it's, it's the film that finally shows you the actual Purge. Like, it goes out into the streets, and okay, that's, the, that's yeah. the direct sequel, and it's Frank Grillo as this guy out there kind of, using it to get revenge on somebody who like screwed over his life and but he's a good man at heart so then he has to like protect these kind of helpless people out there but it's the one that shows all the you know people in masks roving streets and like yep. shooting up places and like robbing and <laughs> pillaging commencing at the siren any and all crime including murder will be legal for 12 continuous hours Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. And then I'm thinking, like, I haven't watched it yet, but I want to go back and watch. I've seen it once at sort of like a Halloween party once. The Vincent Price um, Mask of the Red Death. I was oh, teaching a course nice. on plagues and pandemics and of course we were doing Poe's Masks of the Red Death and I was like you know what I should go back and watch one of these like Roger Corman Vincent Price movies that would be a good one in light of sort of the pandemic and maybe catch Vincent Price's also his uh his uh The Last Man on Earth yeah yeah because <laughs> I watched I Am Legend and was teaching that as well nice I should watch that I watched um the Corman so I watched Mask of the Red Death last year and I found it quite good. It's nice because it's one of the few times Corman seems willing to pony up some money for sets. <laughs> so like it's 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 quite opulent compared to most of his other movies. Like the costumes are sweet and the setting is sweet, and it's very very colorful. Mm. Uh, but I watched uh, House of Usher, his Fall of the House oh, of Usher the yeah, other day, and yeah. that's quite. It's interesting because there's only four characters in it. It's like very subdued almost for a, a Corman film, and Price is relatively restrained as. Nice. Um, What's his name? Rod Roderick or <laughs> Roderick or whatever the, the the you know the main usher son who's <laughs> trying to like yeah. end the line. Um, and I watched Pit in the Pendulum a few years ago, and that's quite fun <laughs> too. <laughs> so those those Corman ones are like a pretty solid three. How's the Poe? You watched one of the Poe Universal, right, Anders? Yeah, the Raven. You watched and the Black Cat. They're How do they extend po. the Raven? Into it's a... it has nothing to do. With he's it at all. he's just he's actually obsessed with Poe. Po. Like it's like oh. So okay. the hilarious thing is that Lugosi's character in that movie is like, I am a big fan of Poe, such a brilliant poet, and he's like, I even built the pit and pendulum in my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and then he like uses that to like yeah, torture yeah, a guy. It's like, it's like the whole like. Yeah, you're gonna like yeah. kill him, like slice so, James Bond villain almost. Speaking about Poe, and just a like a Halloween recommend, like I'm overdue and I want to revisit uh, Tim Burton's 
uh, Sleepy Hollow. So based on Irving Washington, but like the American classic. But what I find interesting about that movie, which I didn't really like when I first saw it, but it has such amazing atmosphere. I've rewatched it a number of times. And it's a masterful site. production design. Yeah. Oh, the production design is so gorgeous. It has great atmosphere. But it also, the more I've read Poe, the more I am intrigued by that movie is sort of weirdly bringing and turning... Um, what Ichabod Crane, Crane into, into kind a, of like a detective, yeah, yeah, kind of like a Dupin, like Poe-esque character. Character. So, there's more probably going on in that movie than I gave it credit originally, and uh, its atmosphere alone, it's so gorgeous. Definitely same production designer as The Phantom Menace that came out the yeah. same year. <laughs> you attack a road Nazareth down, turned his horse, came back, came back to clean the head. Do you remember Francis Ford Coppola's Betwixt? Yes. Poe movie? Twixt. Yeah, yeah, I saw it at... Uh, we all we saw, it. saw it. And, and, and Val Kilmer and Coppola, Coppola were there. Yeah. yeah. That was a very strange... So if you want like a very off-the-radar, kind of appropriate Halloween viewing, it's it's not a great movie, but a very interesting little indie of a passion project of Coppola doing some genre stuff. I would say, yeah. Audience, yeah, for sure. No, I, I enjoy some of that stuff. The other thing I, I rewatched thinking about Peter Jackson rewatched the Frighteners the other night <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that movie a lot even though I don't I, I don't think all of it works um, but I love also like the the special effects and the practical with that sort of transition era 96 you know from early 90s kind of like the the rest of the film feels like a very early 90s is also a Zemeckis what, production what year is it? 96 so it's a very early like uh, um, it's also a Zemeckis production as Peter Jackson came over to work in America, but it's still filmed in New Zealand. So it's very clear that it's New Zealand, even though it's supposed to be America mm. in the film. Um, and uh, But there's some like really fun fun stuff in there. It, it has Jackson's trademark like humor around you know gore and violence and stuff like that. Um, but then speaking, there's a great performance, but the reason I ended up watching also was because Jeffrey Coombs plays a, a sort of deranged FBI agent who's gone insane from investigating cults and things too much. <laughs> um, but I'm going to be revisiting uh, Reanimator, the um, the film based on H.P. Lovecraft, which stars Coons from the 80s. And I, I haven't seen it in like maybe 20 years. And I, I, I remember enjoying it a lot, but it's, it takes a sort of comic, uh, darkly comic take on uh, Lovecraft. That yeah. And then Coombs is such a strangely uh, interesting character, actor. But... Frighteners is also great just for having Michael J. Fox. Yeah, no, Michael J. Fox is also very and, good in it. When like, other characters not, are playing it very we, broad we never and got, silly, like, he's as many movies he's quite right? serious, like yeah. as we would have yeah. all liked from with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. The and the Zemeckis so. Fox thing, it does have a bit of that kind of yeah. like uh, yeah. The dining room table spun in a counterclockwise direction. Uh, I don't think that that one happened. No. The toilet seat lid banged up and down. N- no. The bed levitate? Yeah, yeah, with me on it. Spontaneous recurrent psychokinesis. Oh boy. Oh, this could be the worst case I've ever seen. So yeah, you can you can follow on the site. Um, anything that's tagged as Halloween horror, there's kind of a, a separate section that we've linked off to on the main page of the site that you can read all those reviews. And you know, they're not all recommends, but they're all kind of us trying to give a fair shake to uh, horror movies and the genre, lar- like kind of larger genre considerations i have like a found footage piece in there a defensive and trying to like break down why i think it's they're meaningful in what they're doing um so you can follow along and you'll find re- current reviews from this month like I, I did a review of unfriended which i thought was really great and like definitely worth watching if you want to get quite scared over the course of 80 minutes 
my final kind of recommendation would be I'm I don't know how much you guys or or any of the listeners are fans of the Evil Dead movies, but I'm finally watching through Ash versus Evil Dead the TV show mm. from 2015, 16, 17 where mm. it brought it was like a sequel series of Bruce Campbell as Ash Williams back and it that show really fits the tone of like Evil Dead 2 and Army of the Darkness really 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 well. And so it's quite a fun diverting like 30 minute gore watch and it's the reason I bring it up is that because I think nowadays especially in the kind of elevated horror you know cycle that we have a lot of things there's this idea that movies can only be or horror in general can only be scary or it can only be funny and i like when it's both and something like ash versus the evil dead really gets that where it's great kind of slapstick humor gore effects and some you know really well choreographed almost jackie chan-esque physical comedy stuff but then it takes the horror stuff very seriously and so it will like try and scare you a scene later Sam Raimi does that better than anybody. Yeah. So. Did Sam Raimi work on the show? Yeah, he directed the he directed the first episode and he's one of the producers oh, wow. of it. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. Yo, Granny. Uh, uh. Hope you took your Geritol. It's time to dance. So thanks for listening. Hopefully you got something out of our talk of No Time to Die. Um, if you have any comments, questions, if you if you thought it was a great movie, send us, you know, leave a comment on our page, send us a tweet or, or comment on one of our reviews, <laughs> call attention to it. Um, if you're liking the show, please rate, review, share with your friends. Um, if you know people who are really passionate Bond fans, send this episode their way, and I would love to hear what they think about it. Um, so thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell, Mr. Bond.